0: Welcome to the Aetna Food Safety Podcast, where leading minds in food safety and technology share knowledge and experiences and discuss events and trends in food safety. Here's your host, Dr. Peter Teramina.
1: Today, I'm pleased to welcome Lone Jesperson. Lone has dedicated 15 years of her life or more to bettering food manufacturing operations and studying how culture affects food safety performance. Lone has had a long career in the food industry, but also has had an education background that includes mechanical engineering, food science, and her doctorate in food science. So I'm pleased to welcome Lone. Lone, how are you today?
2: Peter, I'm very well, and I'm very excited to, to work with you on this podcast. Thank you so much for the invite.
1: Well, thank you for accepting. I am just as excited. I'm Very interested to hear in what you're working in these days. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about Cultivate and what you're up to.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, at Cultivate, uh, we really focus, as you just said, we focus on working only with the food industry, and it's all about food safety and quality. So our speciality is really to help companies with how they can improve their quality and food safety performance through their organizational culture. So uh, these days, it's obviously a word culture that gets a lot of traction. And um, it's it's also a word that companies are really wrestling with, finding out how they best uh, build an understanding around and, and also start to see measurable impact on their food safety and quality. So it's a, it's a really exciting time to be in this part of our, our fine food industry.
1: Absolutely. I'm really curious to know that your opinion on the development of culture as something that leaders are cognizant of. Mm-hmm. Has this been ongoing before our food safety profession arrived at this um, this point? Or do you think it's been... Uh, developing and bubbling up to the point mm. that they both reached uh, awareness in terms of not only food safety culture, but overall organizational leadership.
2: Yeah, that's, a, I think that's a great question because, um, so I've had the great pleasure of working with Dan Dennison um, on a couple of things and also learned a tremendous amount from Dan and he's been in the organizational culture and effectiveness field since the mid nineties. And one of the things that Dan um, it keeps telling uh, all of us is that uh, this focus on culture goes in waves.
1: Hmm.
2: So we would have seen the last wave in the nineties and we're right smack dab in the middle of one right now. So it's, it's very, um, it's one where we're very focused on um, the individual. We're very focused on uh, psychology, social norms, how we operate with each other, how we develop the individual, how we keep and retain the best talents we can get our sticky paws on. So Hmm. I think, um, it, it's a long-winded answer, but just to set the stage for your question and answering that, because um, I, I think it is a hot topic, but I also also believe that leaders, um, good leaders, effective leaders in organizations have always known that the unlock to performance in the, in the company sits with the organizational culture. Mm-hmm. And now um, I would say that it's a newer topic that has come in with this wave that we're currently in for the technical function, so for food safety and quality. And, and that's, um, that's where some of the, the challenges also come from because I think it is a new topic. We don't educate food scientists in colleges and universities on the softer side of managing food safety. Um, we, we educate great technical staff, uh, but not necessarily how they fit that technical expertise into the social environment of a food
1: company. Interesting. So, you know, I'm curious also, you said this, this culture awareness Mm -hmm. comes in waves and goes. Mm -hmm. So in this recent wave, do you think it's arrived as a result of problems that develop or are organizations reaching that point in continuous improvement where they're looking for ways to, Mm -hmm. to improve more and identified culture as a means to do that?
2: So this is just a, a point of view from lone JASPISM, so data point of one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I believe that we, we've come out of a wave where um, the focus on technical improvements, so through um, handheld devices, wearable technology, um, easy access to data. And, and now it's become apparent that if we want to maximize and Maximize for me is about saving lives and keeping people healthy from the food they eat and uh, maximizing performance. Then it's about how do we now uh, influence mindsets? How do we go in and um, look at training programs so that they become learning programs where people learn something relevant to their job, take that technology with them to improve, te- to improve performance. And, and I think, um, I think it's it's probably coming off that tech, technical wave into this current very um, social human being oriented wave that we're in right now that is driving most of the focus because food companies like any other industry have invested heavily in some technologies that are in some cases sitting there and not really giving the payback intended and and many come to the conclusion that it's because there hasn't been that um, adaptation by human beings into actually using them to improve performance. Does that make sense, Peter?
1: It does. There's a lot to unpack in there. Um, (laughs) So so I'll just kind of fall back to something you said about technical. So I Mm -hmm. myself was educated technically, but Mm -hmm. arrived into the food industry a complete neophyte in terms of understanding soft skills and human interaction and and how to achieve objectives as as either a leader or a non-management leader and what the companies what are they um selecting in terms of addressing their maybe their management level of their organization and building their leadership skills
2: yeah gotcha thank you um i think I think some of the things that that definitely influence food safety and quality that companies are doing is um, peeling back uh, the organization into what are the different roles that managers play. So if we have a sanitation manager and we have a finance manager and a food safety and quality manager, peel back those roles into saying, so what are the competencies that we need to see from each of these very different roles when it comes to food safety and quality? And how do we design both learning programs, but also uh, systems that enables those leaders to take ownership of food safety and quality. And I think that comes down to competencies, looking at, walking away from training as the first uh, solution, more into workshops where leaders like these three I just mentioned, so with a, a sanitation A finance and a food safety manager, they can actually sit in a workshop and develop together what these competencies specific to their roles are so that it's less about telling people what they're supposed to be competent at. It's more about engaging them to say, I don't know what a finance person does uh, Mm -hmm. in detail, you do, but I know food safety and quality. So I'm going to need you to help me understand how uh, we best build a competency that's relevant for you and your function. So I think there's a there's effort in some companies to better place food safety and quality into these other functions by listening and adapting um, to what can we take out of these functions that works the best for food safety and quality. And then I think there's some really exciting stuff that's more general where uh, using something like wearables to um, track where people are in a plant and look at that and and then start to decipher where do people now introduce risks. Because – I've yet to actually come across anybody in a food plant that wants to do harm to consumers. <laughs> it, it, it's it's yeah. it's not because somebody wants to do harm. It's it's because of old habits and it's because of how some of these assumptions that are made in a, in a plant have made it very successful at what it does, that we get blind to them as well. So if Bob walks um, into a a high-risk area and walks around to help the operators in there, because he knows that at 2.30 at the end of their shift, they're actually going to be really busy. But Bob just came from an area in maintenance where he um, is not used to or has never been held up on uh, gobbing up or making sure he doesn't drag anything into this high-risk room, then... Mm -hmm. It's really hard to say to Bob that um, slapping over the hand and say, hey, you're doing something wrong here because he doesn't come from a place of being wrong, right? So using something like AI and tracking people's movements in a plant, I think, just helps tell a story that's much more constructive. So use some positive psychology to say, yeah, but Bob's in there because otherwise they would never get the product out the door. He's helping Mm -hmm. out here. Yes, but Bob is introducing food safety hazard and risk into this environment. So let's make sure we figure out how we solve for that problem in a constructive way, as opposed to slapping Bob over the hand. So I think, use of technology and it doesn't have to be technology period, mm-hmm. to, to find those but it's just a it's it becomes a very much more fun way to track where people are actually walking around and and solving for a problem that is ultimately forced in uh, the problem that occurred in the culture to begin with because bob has been very successful in helping his colleagues out on the line mm. and and changing that habit
1: i love that so in in terms of um bob and let's just say um People that might be resistant to change because Mm -hmm. let's face it, a lot of these um, workers in the food industry, um, many of them have been there many years working at their jobs, 20, even 30 years. They may not be open to changing their habits and routines. And then conversely, you might have a generation that's wearable devices and would love to gamify their um, their work day how do you yeah. how do you guide companies into approaching those two uh, polar opposite um, yeah. workers
2: yeah i i i think you um you, i and we all know this Um, but sometimes I think we forget any any workforce in any plant will always be diverse hmm. and it 's the power of any plant as well the in my mind the more diverse it is, the more powerful it is if it's actually being appreciated. Um, but, but I think one of the things I, I work with companies on quite a bit is, um, again, take, making that shift from telling people mm-hmm. to engaging people in finding a solution. Uh, and and I, I referenced this great study, a group of scientists at the University of Washington. They've, they did this study a long time ago where they had uh, two groups of people in a room and they gave uh, each group a lottery ticket. So one group got a lottery ticket with a number on it. The other group got a lottery ticket without a number. So it was a blank ticket. And they were asked to write down their own number. Mm-hmm. And then uh, um, later in the workshop, in the in the project, um, the researchers came back and said, now put a price on those tickets because we want to buy them back from you. And those that actually put their own number on their lottery ticket, uh, the price was five times higher because... That lottery ticket, they have put numbers down like the age of their daughter or the day, uh, the day they got married or something highly personal to them. And I think we have to acknowledge findings like that from a psychological per- perspective because it feeds right into some of the theories around behavioral economics that as human beings, we're just not rational. Right. Um, we, we need to be involved to have influence and see how we've added to the solution for it to truly be ours. And that takes sometimes a little bit more time. But if you look at that, uh, we still see high numbers, like north of 70% of all change initiatives fail, then you'll actually probably find that if you involve people to that degree, that you'll get higher impact from what you're trying to change. And I think sitting a, a team in a plant down, I worked with a, a leadership team not long ago in, in a plant in the, or in a company in the US. And we sat down and there was nine of us in the room and the conversation was largely around ownership because, and how did they want to define that? Because it's not, a, it's not conducive for anybody to keep thinking that the head of quality and food safety is going to be able to manage food safety and quality so that nothing happens. We, we've, we've gone way past that. We've been there, we've done that, we failed. So um, I think getting that diverse team to actually take ownership by involvement. And, and, and really be, um, um, be diligent on that, I think, is, is, a, is a big way to overcome those naysayers. But we'll always have them. And yes. we'll always have that crusty, great <laughs> maintenance manager out there that really has done this for 45 years and really don't want to do anything different. Um, and in my experience, the best solution to that is actually these conversations of involvement and respecting what they know. And, and sometimes it works. And sometimes we have to make a hard
1: decision. Right, right. I, I think we kind of jumped into the how of everything, but I would, I would <laughs> like to, and that's my fault. I think I'm just so interested to hear more about this because I myself coming at the challenge of food safety, quality, regulatory compliance, uh-huh. have been a technically oriented person as a food microbiologist. And yet I found myself throwing my hands up in frustration, wondering- how come this isn't working? And I keep yeah. arriving at this, this culture deficiency sense mm-hmm. as the principal, the, the root cause behind, be, behind failure mm-hmm. to implement. Yeah. So can you talk to us about, talk to the listeners about cultivate? How do you, um, how do you engage with your clients and yeah. how does the process work?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um so most of the engagements we have always uh, involve a um, an assessment of current state. So actually measuring the maturity of uh, the company's current quality of, um, and food safety. And we do that against a maturity model. And, and um, mm-hmm. I, I had the luxury to work on a PhD late in life, which was probably one of the best things aside from marrying my husband. Mm-hmm. And it that I've ever done, but but out of that, I got a validated maturity model and worked with industries so of five in, uh, international global companies worked with me, allowed me to collect data in the companies and out came this model, plus an assessment um, method as well. So we go into most of the companies we work with and we do an assessment. So we quantify current state culture around food safety and quality, plot that on the maturity model, and then have really the, the, the type of conversation I described before, Peter, with the leadership teams become around the model. Because what a maturity model does really well as well is it shows a bit of a picture of where you're moving to. But it also acknowledges that if I'm in a stage two on a, on a maturity model that goes from one to five, five being the most mature, I don't have to jump to five tomorrow, nor can I jump to five tomorrow but maybe i can actually go from a 2.7 to a 3.0 mm-hmm. and i now know what a 3.0 looks like so we have we have those kinds of conversations after the assessment and then we really start working with uh, teams about so how do you improve how do you uh, get actions in place that uh, can su- uh, so that you can sustain some of the improvements that you put in place and that is by far the place where we um, we have some of the biggest struggles because uh, food industry is, um, is a very relationship-oriented uh, not necessarily as uh, stringent in, from a systematic or system perspective as some other industries. Mm-hmm. And therefore, some of these actions that are put in place, um, they sort of have influence or they impact uh, direction for a little while, and then a new shiny object comes along and they fall mm-hmm. off the radar. So, so a lot of the work we do is to actually keep sort of keep people just on the ball for saying, okay, let's not do 10 things. Let's select two and mm-hmm. let's come back in 12 months and do a reassessment. Uh, because that's one thing that works in my mind very well for our industry is quantify, show from a logical perspective, because I also think, so you mentioned that you come at it from a technical perspective um, and, and, and that quantification and the maturity model really speaks to us well if you're very technically oriented, because it's, it's a yeah. scientifically validated method for assessing and it's a very uh, straightforward maturity model, really, if you're 2.7, what does 3 look like? So we, we do a lot of that work, Peter, and, um, and I'm really proud that we've we started working with um, regulators as well. So we do a lot of work in Australia and the UK with, with some regulators uh, because i i I think regulators do hold um the golden key for raising the bar mm-hmm. um, yes. and helping them just also unlock this whole culture discussion that's uh, that's really exciting as well um if I just make one one final point and and you'll regret day you invited me here because I can't seem to stop
1: talking but <laughs> no please keep going yeah.
2: but you have the power to edit <laughs> um one of the things I'm I'm also really excited about is so I do believe in the um, the spot checks or that sort of assessment where we come in and and do an assessment in, in plant. But we also have a new product out that's called Pulse, and Pulse is is really a a tool that's designed to collect um, information from the front line every day. So there's a, there's a scattering of, of tablets that are posted in areas convenient for the frontline workers. And they're asked to just answer one question per day, but it gives leadership a, some insights every week as for what's the climate in my, in my plant today around food safety and quality. And, and climate is something that we need to look at as a bit of the it's the, it's a, it's the, what ultimately feeds up into your culture. Because climate is what works, it's the perception of people, uh, people's perception of food safety and quality every day. And those perceptions, if they are validated, then they are going to cement themselves in the organization's culture as well. Mm-hmm. And Pulse is designed to get that f- sort of pulse uh, on the pulse on the climate. And I'm um, really excited about that product, Or product, I have to say, because it, it gives more real time. It's almost a leading indicator for your culture.
1: And is that something, loan that you're using uh, technical, like technology, like wearables to, yeah. to monitor? We, do,
2: we don't use wearables yet. Sorry, I was a little quick there. Um, mm-hmm. But what we do is we use some AI in the analysis of it mm-hmm. to say, um, if you have if, if there's a certain amount of uh, trending in one of the dimensions or enablers in our model mm-hmm. based on the frontline responses, then we go deeper into that area so that uh, it actually becomes quite detailed as for what can a company now do. So I'll give you an example. If frontline, uh, one week, if there's an indication that supervisory engagement seems to be trending down, so it doesn't seem to be perceived as positive as it used to, then it gives the management team a little bit of an opportunity uh, a couple of days later to gather the supervisors, can have that focus group or some discussion forum where they can say, "Hey, what's going on? Are we? um Is there something you need? Um, has something happened?" So you can actually turn the tides on the climate much quicker than you can on culture,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it and it gives them that kind of insights. So sorry, no wearables, but uh, it does makes make use of uh, both the real time data collection and also the uh, algorithms that sit behind the analysis.
1: That sounds great. Can you loan help us understand the difference between climate and culture yeah
2: yeah um so if you think of climate as um, a person's perception i'm perceiving my supervisor to be not mm-hmm. so engaged and um, and culture made up of assumptions and an assumption could be as a supervisor in my plant and um, my number one priority is to make sure I hit my volumes. Second is safety, and that includes people and, and product. And in the culture, that has been some; those assumptions has made that supervisor successful. So, um, mm-hmm. she might have heard that you're doing a good job, or yeah, first shift shift is winning, uh, and therefore those assumptions are really deeply rooted. But because of that assumption around productivity. A perception by the front line could be that well, sometimes my, this week, especially, I actually saw how my supervisor didn't uh, shut down um, the material or didn't reject the material coming in that shouldn't have been used, uh, and that's different than what I'm usually what I usually see. So my perception is that my supervisor is not supporting food safety the same as what she used to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So. Climate is much more in the moment um something that changes a lot um, whereas, and quick, whereas culture are these mm-hmm. deeply rooted um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: assumptions that we carry. And, and, does that make sense, Peter? Yes,
1: fascinating. So you could, as a leader or any employee, could walk into a production room and do something that immediately shifts perception and therefore climate, I would
2: yeah. That's exactly right.
1: Either positively or negatively. That's exactly right.
2: So the way that the way that we do this assessment and, and it's part of what I validated in my PhD as well, is we use we use triangulation. Mm-hmm. Um there's a there's a lot of evidence from both safety culture and also organizational culture that uh, you can't actually uh, just rely on one method if you want to get to at least two of three different levels of culture, and I can come back to that. Um, so what we do is, uh, there, is um, there is a survey, the dreaded survey, and I say that because there's a lot mm-hmm. of uh, split opinions on that one. Uh, user survey, we also then have uh, on-site interviews and focus groups. So, I was just last week with a company in the US, and uh, so I did an interview with the front or the plant manager, maintenance manager, food safety manager, and production manager. A focus group with uh, supervisors and a separate focus group with frontline. Mm-hmm. So, we have at minimum, we do those five activities in a plant mm-hmm. because we measure plant culture. We don't actually, in most cases, measure company cultures, plant culture. And then um, out of those two come, so all of that uh, information that's gathered on site are recorded, transcribed, and then it gets coded. Um, And all of that coded material, so what that means is the content from the interviews and focus groups are really coded into saying, so what what clues do we find in the coded or in the textual data and what maturity level does that equate to? And then the third part that we look at are uh, performance documents. So that could be uh, EMP data. It could be food safety manage or food safety meeting minutes. Um, we use audit reports, but they're proving to be fairly useless. Um, uh, but any really any food safety performance documents that the company wants us to look at,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and out of that comes a number as well. And then we triangulate those three numbers to get a here's your co- here's your plant food safety culture maturity score. And that's split into, so we have the five dimensions from the GFSI position paper and mm-hmm. we measure against those five and that's how the maturity model is, is structured as well. Okay. It sounds very complicated, but do you know what, Peter? Culture is a complicated topic. Yes. And, and, and I think one of the worst things we can do on this particular topic is to try and simplify it, oversimplify it, because, and, and I keep uh, having this discussion with companies to say, well, well would you ever go out and, and buy yourself a listeria detection method that hasn't been validated to actually detect hysteria? Well, you need to ask yourself the same question around your culture assessments.
1: Oh, I think it sounds really well thought through and effective. I want to get back to GFSI in a moment, but you had mentioned something about working with regulators.
0: Uh-huh.
1: How does that? Um... How does that? How do you approach that? When what what sort of uh, successes have you seen?
2: Would you sorry? Would you repeat that?
1: I wanted to ask you, Lone, about how you're working with regulators to mm-hmm. um, foster food safety culture in and how that how that relates to food companies.
2: Yeah, yeah, exciting. I I think that's really exciting. And um, mm-hmm. so with um, so with the agency in Australia, um, I was asked if we could help them so help them develop a system for assessing culture in um, with the licensees so they actually want to be able to offer an assessment to the licensees it's not a, an assessment that necessarily is going to be regulated so it's not going to be in the regulations to say thou must be a stage three on the maturity model uh, but they want to be able to have a conversation with the licensees to say how mature is your culture and what are you doing about it. So they asked to have a whole bespoke system developed uh, using the same type of validated methods I just described to you, uh, Mm -hmm. but also a bespoke maturity model. So they have their own maturity model for that agency. Um, And we've piloted that uh, with 10 companies and we've just concluded on the pilot in, I was just out there in August and it's um, it, it's moving really nicely. So now they're building up capacity within the agency to do these assessments and also to have that conversation with the licensees to say how can you use these results and what do we expect of you. Um, so that's that's one thing. In the UK, that's been more of a um, here's so they had a bit of a false start with a toolkit uh, that they launched in 2009. I think it was no, was it 2000? I might have been 2011 actually. Um, great toolkit but it wasn't launched very well into the agency they couldn't really get it off off the ground so now they're rethinking that um and my conversations with them is to add some subject matter expertise into saying well how can you better prepare your agency to go out and have these culture discussions with your with your constituents and um, and so two different cases a little bit the same with the um, fsai in ireland and um, bit more of adding some some thought into the conversation to to say how can they build culture into their strategy and f s a i has has done that for their new strategy that they launched in two thousand and nineteen um and it's 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 really interesting because regulators again hold a unique uh tool because they could actually say we think you have a very strong culture and therefore we're backing off on their inspection frequencies similar to what the CFIA in Canada are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the CFIA has has not yet built in cultural considerations. It's more from a technical and systemic performance that they're looking at it. Um, at least last time I spoke to them, it's been a while.
1: That's but, interesting. Um, I could see that going two ways. Mm-hmm. One, it, it does make, I would think, industry... A little bit uncomfortable but mm-hmm. on the other hand i've been in that position where i've referred to our friends in the regulator uh, regulatory side as my leverage to yeah. force leadership to change or yeah. make the right choice um at the same time though i think that um the there are these gray areas we get into these issues a lot of times where um there's a need to make an assessment or a disposition decision mm-hmm. on product, mm-hmm. and we're presenting data, information, scientific assessments, and so forth, but we're finding obstacles in in whoever's evaluating this on the regulatory mm-hmm. side.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I would imagine that if if a company has a really strong culture assessment by the regulator in the future, let's say, that the their willingness to review that data with a different perspective, a, a more positive perspective on the company would yes. help, uh, you know, clear up these disposition yeah. questions more quickly.
2: Yeah, I, I, I would completely agree with that. Um, I, I think some of these, there's, there's obviously many more reasons for, for this challenge mm-hmm. of regulator to industry than I know of. But one of them, um, I think, is that if, if the perception is that what regulators are there to do is so far from what an in, a company has to deal with every day, then it becomes the, the conversation becomes more about that difference as opposed to are we actually are we improving public health? Mm-hmm. And, and I think the more a regulator recognize that they, um, they need to alter their approach if they are in front of somebody that's very mature versus one that's not, the more value, it's, it's going to be perceived as ad, they're adding more value for the company. And therefore, I think the conversation gets back on track as for we're, we're actually here to protect public health. Um, so I think, I think um, that awareness from a regulatory perspective and how they need to change the conversation depending on how, who they're, they're in front of, which in itself can, I would imagine, be very tricky for an inspector because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you talked about being a technical person. Um, some inspectors are, are a little bit more black and white than you and I, and and therefore having that sort of uh, spectrum of having to operate on because of the, the, the state of maturity of the company's culture can be tricky for mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely. For sure. But you know what I I, I, I what well, at least what I'm what I see from, from those that I have interactions with in the regulatory space, man, they're they're really they're stepping up to take their um their ownership of, of this whole bigger equation of safe food and mm-hmm. um I think that's that's really positive.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I see that too. I get really inspired and motivated when I interact with somebody in in the regulatory field who is Passionate about what they do, yeah. um, and and they're not being obtuse, let's say mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. They, they do hold their ground, but they're, yet they're willing to as a as a partnership mm-hmm. approach this this big topic of how do we protect consumer health and um, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's always exciting to run across that.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you, absolutely.
1: Lone along the lines of this external assessment of mm-hmm. culture and climate, talk to the audience about your work with the Global Food Safety Initiative.
2: So I I led the group um chaired the chaired 37 um vocal um very passionate individuals. <laughs> and you said it was like herding cats. I would say it's tigers and lions <laughs> in this case. <laughs> um Fantastic individuals to work mm-hmm. with, and and one of the criteria that GFSI has for any of their working groups, or did at the time anyway, because this was we got the group together in 2016, was that it um, had to be representative of the different geographical areas that GFSI is, mm-hmm. is active in, and also the different sectors. So it's really from farm to to end of the retail chain that we were looking at. So it was a very diverse group. And the work uh, is is officially completed. And the mandate we had was to develop uh, what's the GFSI position on a culture of food safety. And we documented that in the position paper on my GFSI. So there's two versions that anybody can download, a, a summary version and, and the longer version. And I... I have come across quite a number of companies now that have taken because we also have some questions in there that you can pose of your own organization to, to just do a bit of a gut check as for well. do you have some of these critical elements in your company? And uh, people are integrating those into their internal audit programs. So that's, uh, that seems to have a, 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 the effect we were hoping for, but it's also being built into the, the GFSI benchmark uh, standards. So we know that one, stand, one standard uh, today has a, a section that mentions culture um, and all all standards would have to have that at some point in time uh, because of this benchmarking document being updated. So I think similar to what we talked about with the regulators, GFSI also has a very golden key because they can just ensure that we keep pushing up the standard through the private certification world um, and making... And, it's, and the same goes making sure that it's relevant, so making sure that it adds value to ultimately increasing public health. And um, it was a very exciting, exciting part of work to be involved in. I was, I was humbled by that.
1: So eventually we'll be at the stage of auditors will need to be educated and yeah. equipped with the right tools to go out and assess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. 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 It's and a big and your cultivate wheel mm-hmm. has been an integral part of this. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, it's a, it, well, it's a, it's a bit of a, so it's a, it's collaborative, I would definitely say, because, so the dimensions that are in the GFSI position paper comes out of um, the PhD work that I did mm-hmm. at the University of Guelph. But then the group really went to town to define in that wheel there's a number of sub dimensions which uh, is the next level out on that wheel and that was squarely uh, work coming out of the GFSI working group Mm -hmm. that team really Mm -hmm. um, put all of their expertise into saying so what is it that's important when we talk about a dimension of vision and mission what should we be looking at leadership messaging direction structure that sort of thing and and then what we did in cultiv- Cultivate after that the GFSI work was done was to create the wheel where we then put the tools and tactics around it. And it's, it's on our website if, if anybody wants a copy of it, it's and so is the maturity model if anybody wants to see that. But it's really about saying um, now we have a logical way to segment this little nebulous topic sometimes of a, a culture of food safety as per the GFSI document. Now let's make sure we also have some tools that are fit fit for purpose that companies can go look for and and implement, and that's what is is on the rim of that wheel. Those tools are not it's not a, I mean those are samples. Then there's not two of our clients that have the same action plan when it comes to their culture, improving their culture of food safety, but okay. these are samples, they're really samples, and Great. that's important, Peter. There's not a checklist to this. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's
1: not quite that simple. Is it?
2: No. <laughs> yeah.
1: We. So I'd love to hear more about how you got into this. I saw in your bio, it, it seemed like you said you sort of landed into this, into yeah. this, in this field of. You called it a lackluster industry, and I agree. Um, talk to us about how you arrived where you are today.
2: Yeah my um my first career was in the automobile industry so i'm in in europe and in north america and i um, i really have a an appreciation for data and but i i've always in in reflecting on everything i did in the automobile industry it was always back to well how do you make the data work so that people can improve and even though i was in automotive plants as a process engineer it was always about working with cross-functional teams and say well we have this auto part that needs to be more consistent in how it's produced how do we best do that so i've probably always in my even as an engineer always been in an industry that's heavily reliant on how do you engage people to take out variation to improve um, performance of a of the plant and part and company but then in, in two thousand and nine, or sorry, two thousand and four, um, I got this great opportunity. I was asked to to join Maple Leaf Foods in Canada, and um, joined um, to look into or to uh, into the six segment group, and could continue to put all of all of my passion for data and improvements into that. But then in two thousand and eight, we had a, a very terrible recall that many are, of course, f- uh, familiar with where 23 Canadians lost their lives because we had sent out sliced meat into the marketplace, uh, contaminated with the monster monstertogenes, and um, I I was not in food safety. I didn't have a very very good understanding at all about food safety before that, but uh, all of a sudden, um, almost 50,000 people were in Maple Leaf at the time, were forced to sit up and, and really figure out what this meant, and through that, um, I got the opportunity to work with Dr. Randy Hoffman, who we hired in as Chief Food Safety Officer. And I attribute I a lot of what I, a lot of my passion for this topic, to what I, uh, I had the opportunity to learn from Randy. He um, is obviously a, um, just a, a force to be reckoned with in food safety, mm-hmm. um, but also um, has a leadership style that at the time, really worked for me because uh, he he let me go and, and get things done under his guidance, of course, on food safety. So my job became to
1: uh,
2: finalize the food safety strategy and get it implemented uh, across the company. And uh, I have never in my entire life been on such a steep learning curve. Uh, with We moved really fast because we were in crisis, of course. We had an application to our consumers and to everybody that has trusted us mm-hmm. but um more, i think more importantly for me it became very personal and mm-hmm. um, food safety is incredibly personal i remember sitting with a team of people in the plant that it was first detected in and traced back to this product contaminated product and um, with a maintenance supervisor in tears because they felt so responsible for what had happened mm-hmm. so it's very personal peter and um and it's, it's very, for some reason, it's very important for me to uh, help my clients to not get in that
1: situation. Yeah. And ter- of course, a very tragic uh, yeah. event, yeah. but you've made so much out of that um, along the lines of never forget. And yeah. um, so I think that we're so glad that you are now in this, in this field and working in this space and oh, thank you. raising the awareness what bothers you about the food industry and food safety, and what are we missing? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, do you know? I'm gonna. So you might want to edit this out, but um, <laughs> <laughs> what bothers me um, is in some part the mindset of us as food safety professionals. Um, I think in many (laughs) that's why I said what I did might want to edit it out (laughs) but but it's um we we uh so I believe firmly uh, that if you you be the change you want to see Mm -hmm. so if you want to see a more mature culture of food safety in your plant where others take responsibility for food safety and own it and drive improvements then you have to, as a as a technical responsible person, you have to change your mindset from one of um, telling um, to coaching. Yeah. And that's a really hard change for some food safety professionals. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's why I'm carefully saying that it bothers me because I don't mm-hmm. think anybody wants. A, Anybody doesn't want to make that change, but it's a tough change. It really is because when something happens, often it comes back to the person in charge of food safety, and why didn't you get this done right? So they they felt the consequences when it goes wrong, and therefore are very hesitant to make that change. I do um, a lot of uh, work and have great conversations with Marie Tanner at um, Dairy Farmers America, and. And Marie has really taken this to heart because she, she believes in this mantra as well, be the change you want to see. And she is, she's building her team up around that at, at DFA, DFA mm-hmm. where, where she's really saying, well, we have to be just as much the change as everybody else. So she's, she's skilling her people to do that. And she's, mm-hmm. she's also getting people in to do that that can do that. So that, that bothers me actually quite a bit because I, I wish I could do more. I, I, I guess I wish yeah. I could do more
1: our time is running out, but I'd love to hear any final thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners.
2: I think um, I, I'm just so pleased with the energy that food safety and food safety culture has in our, our industry right now. Um, I, I had the pleasure of working with a couple of uh, companies in Australia, and uh, one of them has a plant in Sydney and I met two of their frontline people, Bindi and Sue. And Sue was uh, being trained, new person in her job. Uh, she hadn't been in the food industry before she joined this company. And she accidentally bent down, picked up some leaves, uh, so sort of leafy greens off the floor, and was going to mm. put them up, and and they were going to be packed. And Bindi told her under no certain circunst- no uh, certain circumstances was she supposed to do that, and here's why. Mm. And and if I was in Sue's I would never ever do that again, Mm. and I get really excited about that. I get I get excited by the fact that we we have all of these passionate people on the front line, and how we as an industry are now aware of that we have to do more to have as many bendies in the Mm -hmm. world that we can possibly get. And that gets me up every morning. I kid you not, with a smile Mm. on my face because I think Mm -hmm. that's what it's about. I really Mm. do.
1: That's so cool. Indeed. It's, it's, it's amazing to have your why so well figured out. And I agree. Um, so I think we're at the end of our time. How can people get in touch with you loan and learn more about. Yep.
2: Um, feel free to jump onto our website and um, cultivate com, or send me an email at, at loan at food safety or sorry, loan at cultivate com, and, um, Reach out to Peter. I'm sure he'll he'll be able to um, to send on information as well. And um, but if you just want to talk, if you just want to have a conversation, just uh, reach out. Let me know, and, and we'll get somebody in touch with you. Uh, yeah.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. I really appreciate it.
2: I appreciate the opportunity, Peter. And thank you for for having me, and uh, looking forward to many more conversations.
0: Thank you for listening to the Aetna Food Safety Podcast, where leading minds in food safety share insights. You can find more information about Aetna Consulting Group at etnaconsulting.com. Our handle on social media is at Aetna Food Safety. Please follow the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor, or whatever your podcast platform. Also, if you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to leave us a review. Until next time, think safe food.